Hey fam, you know we go to a lot of conferences, right? We talk about them on this podcast a lot. All the time. Yes. Well, we have a special conference to talk about today to everyone listening, and that is Dribble's Hang Time. It's a one-day design conference happening on June 6th in New York at the Manhattan Center Hammerstein Ballroom. And we have a very special code that Dribble have given us to give to our listeners, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, totally. If you're listening to this and interested in going to this conference, then you can go to dribble.com slash hangtimes slash 2019. That's 2019. And if you buy a ticket from there and enter the discount code design life, you'll get $100 off your conference ticket. Woot woot. Uh, you have to do that before Friday, May 31st in order to use that discount as well. It looks like it's going to be an amazing conference, to be honest. Um, who are some of the speakers? We've got David Carson. He was always one of my like idols in university. Alice Lee, amazing illustrator. Oh my gosh. Her talk. Yes. Cat yep. Noon. Yep, Cat Noon. All these amazing people. This is definitely a conference I'd be going to myself if uh, my work conference wasn't also <laughs> on the same day. So yeah, check it out dribble.com slash hangtime slash 2019. It's also in the show notes as a link if you just would prefer to click it. Use that discount code and full clarity, we also will get an affiliate commission if you do choose to go along. But we highly stand behind Dribble as a company and what they do. So go on and check it out. Yeah, awesome. Don't miss out. Welcome to Design Life podcast about design and side projects for motivated creators. My name is Femke. And my name is Charlie. Today's topic comes by way of an email we had from a client, actually, who was talking about the fact that uh, they disagreed with us about freelance marketplaces. We've talked about them in multiple episodes, I'm pretty sure, but this uh, this email calls out episode 42 in particular. So thanks for putting that note in because I wouldn't have remembered what episode number it was. Which, by the way, is like almost 100 episodes ago. Whew. Well, it's great to know that people are still <laughs> listening to those old episodes. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's so strange. But anyway, in this email, this person is talking about the fact that they really like design competitions and freelance marketplaces because as a client, they feel like they know what they're getting before they pay for it. Which, I mean, I can kind of understand that logic. Uh, And this person says that they basically it seems like they've been burned before by designers where they've hired someone based on an impressive portfolio and the work has been disappointing. And so that's their reasoning for preferring freelance marketplaces. Uh, Well, I don't want to talk about freelance marketplaces in this episode because I think our stance on them is very clear. We are not a fan of them. We think that they degrade the design industry. Go listen to episode 42 to hear more about our thoughts on that. But it is really interesting to me that this client has been disappointed by people's portfolios, right? Like their portfolio looked great, the work seemed impressive, but when it got down to it, the designer couldn't really solve his problem. And that's what I want to talk about today. Is your portfolio truthful? Is it a fair representation of your skills? And are you really showing clients a result that they can expect when you work with them in it? I think it's important to talk about because we do encourage you to put work in your portfolio that is the kind of work you want to end up doing you know so there's sometimes some practice projects in there but we're going to be truthful at the same time it's a fine balance so that'll be interesting to talk about today first though after that very long intro 
How are you going, Fem? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Yeah, I am. You know, it's it's interesting. I think I've talked before about now that I'm sort of doing YouTube videos, I'm kind of waiting for my first negative comment. Have you gotten it yet? Is there an update? Uh, I got a negative comment, which Ooh. wasn't necessarily like personally negative about me, but it was just about the, the content or the subject that I was talking about. And what did it say? Uh, I love how you're so interested in this. Oh, yeah. So I, I did a video with my impression of a design tool. Mm-hmm. And their comment was something around like, oh, this is so unnecessary. Photoshop does all of this. Like, why would you use this? Blah, blah, blah. Which, you know, isn't isn't terribly mean or anything like that in the scale of things. But it, it had a negative vibe to the comment right and I was like oh this is interesting like someone disagrees with uh, with you know the content that I've put up uh so yeah I don't know I like I'm kind of excited that this happened to me finally I I can't believe I like have gone this long without sort of having someone disagree in the comments with what I'm saying so yes I just wanted to share that update that I I finally got my first negative comment and I did reply to it constructively and positively uh if you would like to read the comment you can go uh to my YouTube and find it I did a a video about uh Rotato which is like a a 3D animated mock-up kind of tool that lets you create animated mock-ups of your designs. So yes, that, we'll that's my weekly, weekly update. Yes, we'll link to it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm very proud of you, Fem. You got your first hater. Thank it's you. It's a right passage <laughs> that every YouTuber has to go through. And I mean, yeah, you're right. Could have been worse, but also could have been better too. So <laughs> yeah, you know, fair enough. And it's, it's also interesting kind of getting a sense of what videos work well and what don't. Mm. You know, like, do people like to see just my face talking in front of the camera or do people like to see, you know, me showing a a tool or or a process and getting into the nitty gritty? That's been a bit of a, like, trial. It it still is a bit of a trial and error for me, like, figuring out, you know, the different kind of formats and the different sort of content I could do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's fun. And I'm excited to basically for us to compare notes on that later on down the track as well because I've obviously been noticing this with my own audience what people respond to and sometimes what gets the most comments isn't always the thing that gets the most views and all that sort of thing it's yeah it's fascinating because sometimes like I get a lot of people asking how to do specific things in design tools but I don't know they're just not the videos that I love making so even though I know they'd be the most popular fair they're not the videos that I make so you're, I bet you're going to have to make those conscious choices as well when you do try something and then figure out, oh, damn, my audience likes this, but I don't. <laughs> mm, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's been my week. Uh, what about you? I have been mostly like practicing my talk, preparing for that conference, which at, by the time this is goes out, it would have already happened. So hopefully my talk went really great and people loved it and came up to talk to me about it afterwards. But um, yeah, at this stage, I'm still practicing it, getting confident with it, getting comfortable with it because it is a brand new talk. But yeah, getting getting prepared for this trip and, and travel. So yeah. So exciting. Are you, how are you feeling? Are you nervous, excited? What's the feelings? I think I'm, as always, a mixture of all of the above, but I'm the least nervous, I think, for any talk I've ever given. Oh, good. Which is good. I think it just like the more you do, the more comfortable you get with it. And I'm always going to be nervous standing, talking in front of people. Like, it doesn't even matter if it's just, like, three people, you know, I'm going to be nervous. 
but feeling feeling good about it overall and feeling like really really happy with my talk I uh, would love to give it at some more conferences because I think that it's rare to hear about in-house design at conferences and so hello if anyone listening runs a design conference hit me up I'd love to speak at it yeah yeah oh ooh, another exciting thing is I have Mark and I have booked a trip to Toronto we're gonna go in June Fun. after the ConvertKit conference so that'll be cool um also hoping to try and get hooked up with someone who runs a meetup there or something you know during the time mostly so that like just secretly I can call the trip a business expense oh yeah girl also because it would be fun to speak <laughs> it's your first time to Canada right yes it is I'm so excited Mark's been before but I haven't so really looking forward to it oh cool it's always like nice to have those trips to look forward to we're going to a new place and it's all exciting it's really yeah, cool. it's been a while since I went to a totally new place I think so yeah it's gonna be cool awesome well shall we talk about today's topic Yes. Can I add like a bit of a disclaimer? Yes, go for it. Because I feel like, you know, you're sort of mentioning in the beginning about creating these portfolios and sort of how can you sort of tell if like what's real and what's not. And if you're a client working with a designer, you know, sometimes the expectations don't match the reality and you might hire a designer who sort of on the portfolio level has all their stuff in order, you know, it looks very good. And then when you actually get to work with them, maybe it doesn't, you know, they don't deliver what you were expecting. And I feel like I just want to add a disclaimer that sometimes I don't think it's the designer's fault either. Like I don't necessarily think that if that happens, that means that you hired a designer that was maybe faking it a bit too much. I think also sometimes it can come down to the client as well. And like whether you sort of gave the right brief or like how you worked with the designer, I think sometimes it can be, you know, it's, it's a two way street. It's a relationship often as well. And while I do agree that there are definitely cases where you know, maybe the designer didn't turn out to be what they advertised themselves to be. I think there's also cases where, you know, the designer is what they advertise them to be, but maybe the relationship just didn't go off on the right foot or maybe the client dropped the ball somewhere. So I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in the ring as well, because uh, I, I feel like that's an important thing too. Yes. I love that you mentioned that because often, and I don't, like, I don't like blaming the client. I think it's always on the designer to make sure the client's understanding the process and things like that. But, you know, there's always communication breakthroughs and things like that happen. But sometimes if a designer is doing their job well, right, they're going to solve the problem with the design solution that they feel is best for the client and that they know based on their research and understanding the problem is the best way to go about it. And maybe the client just had different personal preferences, you know, and so the designer wasn't delivering what on their personal preferences because the designer didn't think that was right for the brand or whatever it is. Um, and that could be a situation again, where a client is unhappy with a designer. So yeah, I think you're right to bring that up. There is lots of caveats to this situation where things could have gone differently or it's not always the designer's fault. It's not just that they're lying in their portfolio or faking it or whatever. But I do think that it is really important to make sure that before you take on clients, before you even worry about having a good portfolio even, you are making sure that your design process is the is all short up and solid from the beginning. Yeah. Because I think if you put too much, much focus on having work that looks good, on having a portfolio that looks good, on getting clients, then you get a client and it's like, shit, 
where do I start? <laughs> like, how do I actually do this and solve a real problem? Because all of those were like ones for practice, which, like I said, is fine to have in there because, you know, it's the type of work you want to do. But I don't know. How do you go about doing this? Is there some sort of marker of, of when you're ready to take clients, do you think? Like maybe there's some things you have to go through before you should even be at that stage. That's so hard. I mean, I agree with you that ideally before you take on projects uh, or even before you maybe put a portfolio together, uh, you have a process in place. I, I've i been in the situation where I didn't have a process in place and I took on a freelance project and sort of figured out the process as I went, mm-hmm. uh, which is possible to do, but it's not an ideal situation. So I would really recommend to kind of figure out what that process is first. And like you said, maybe you do those like mock sort of fake projects. That's fine. Like that's a good way to sort of figure out what your process is and, and try and, you know, establish how you want to go about working on a project. But yeah, I don't know. In terms of like, how do you know when you're ready? That's really, really difficult because sometimes like in my case, you know, I felt like I needed to take on that freelance project in order to figure out what my process was because I was kind of struggling to figure that out on my own, even with like mock projects. You know, if if you're just doing something on your own, you don't have all the resources available, right? It's just you, (laughs) you figuring it out. So I don't know, it's hard because when you're doing the freelance project, like maybe you have more resources available, you have, you know, you're working with engineers or or whatever that can help you kind of figure out how to form those relationships and what the process should be. Yeah, that's a really good point because it's like practicing something versus doing the real thing. Yeah. Doing an actual freelance project is doing the real thing. You're working with other real people who have their own like variables thrown into the mix that you can't fully control like you can when you're doing a practice project just for yourself. And so I think you're right that actually doing the work is a great way to learn, but maybe it's about being upfront about that or finding clients who, I don't know, I mean, they say never to recommend you work with friends or family, but even doing a mock project with a friend or a family member who needs some design work done, you can do it for them for free as a learning experience. You know, you're getting a lot out of it in, in that sense. Uh, just to develop, start developing a process, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I used to do design work for my mum all the time. Like, I, I don't think there's a there's anything bad uh, about doing that. I mean, I guess it depends on the relationship you have with your your mum. Obviously, uh, for me, it wasn't a problem. Good point. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a few things you could do, like either work with friends and family. Uh, I think another opportunity is a side project. You know, that's always a great place to tinker and figure out what your process is and maybe work with other people if you have a joint idea or something. Another interesting thing to me about this email from our client listener, um, the the show topic that he proposed is how to see through a nice portfolio, which I thought was a fascinating way of putting it because it's almost like saying that what you're seeing isn't the truth and you've got to peel back to uncover the layers. There are a lot of great designers out there who have a lot of great portfolios and the work is real. The work is great. If you hire them, they'll be great. And that that's just a fact. Well, and there's the opposite too, right? There's a lot yep. of great designers out there that don't have portfolios or like that, yep. that haven't taken the time to document their process. And so like that's that's sort of the opposite of this conversation. But I think that's also super interesting. Yeah. And so basically maybe the topic is about how much can you really tell about a portfolio and... I think the issue might be when the work you see in a portfolio, that beautiful looking work, doesn't have substance behind it. 
So it looks great and you think, cool, I want something that looks great too. So obviously this is, is going to be the designer for me because I want something that looks good. But that's why case studies are so important, right? Like I wonder if totally this person has ever hired a designer who had full, full case studies and um, I don't know, gone into the details of the problems that they were solving in their designs, if they could see that behind the work. Because that's a way to make a client feel more assured in your process, I think, and to let them know that you're really going to solve an actual problem and that the work you're doing wasn't just about what it looks like. Yeah. And, and I think we should be clear here about what a case study is, because I've seen a lot of portfolios where people have case studies, but it's really just like an image gallery almost, or just, you know, a few, a few high fidelity shots of their work with maybe a, a little couple paragraphs or something. To me, this is not a case study, right? And, and the person who submitted this topic also said, you know, like it's easy to, to, you know, throw together some visuals and show like journey maps and user stories or whatever, but that's not really showing the substance of, of the work. And to me, that's not a case study. Uh, I think maybe what we could do, Charlie, is in the show notes, include a couple of portfolios or case studies that we consider to be you know, really thorough and really good. Cause I've definitely seen a few where actually the good case studies that I've seen is more text than visuals, you know, like they're really walking you through the process. They're explaining the design decisions they, they made. They're outlining why they made those decisions, how those decisions contributed to the final product and supporting it all with, with visuals. Uh, so yeah, maybe we can share some in the show notes to kind of give an indication of, of what a solid case study looks like. You mentioned there, like, it's easy to throw together a journey map, that sort of thing. I, I want people, when you look at these examples that we share, I don't want you to think that you have to have all the exact same content in them for yours to be a good case study. Because I think what's more important is for the case study to be a true representation of your process. Don't go and make things up uh, later that you didn't actually do in the process. Yep, for sure. So right now I don't have a portfolio online. But when I do, and I write about the projects that I've worked on, I will not be including user personas. I will not be including journey maps because I do not do them as part of my design process. Sure. And so even though it might look impressive to have them, and maybe someone might look at my work and question, oh, why is this not there? I thought that was meant to be part of a design process. That's fine. It's not part of mine. It's not something that I did to work on this project. And so I'm not going to include it just because it looks more impressive, right? Because it would be a lie. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I wonder if people get in a situation where you start to feel pressured to include all the same stuff you're seeing in, your in other people's portfolios in your own. Like, I don't know, I guess the thought did cross my mind when, when I'm thinking ahead to a portfolio. It's like, what do you need? Oh, you obviously need to start off with a user persona, right? That's what everyone does. But I didn't, so therefore I shouldn't include it. <laughs> yeah, that's also the thing is it's it's not about cloning what other people's processes either, right? Yeah. Like your process is very often unique to you and there's no right way, there's no wrong way. Uh, as long as you're sort of being honest and outlining how you got to the final final thing, uh, that's a process. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's the right process or the wrong process, there is none. But you should just be honest and true to how you worked through this project yeah um i think that honestly might be where a lot of the problems are coming from that this client is talking about because i am starting to feel like a lot of design case studies are looking the same and i don't think the reason is because everyone's design process is exactly the same i i do think there's a bit of of cloning going on there and it's fair enough because you know we look at 
around at other professionals. We see what they're doing. We think, oh, that's professional. I should do that too. And that's, that's how we get caught up in this, I think. Fem, I'm curious for your thoughts on practice projects in portfolios, because um, like I've already said multiple times in this episode, I think it's fine to have them. But we're also talking about the fact that we don't want your portfolio to be a lie. Do you think that practice projects should be labeled as such? And if so, how would you go about doing that? Like, what would you put on them? Um, I think usually it's kind of obvious it's a practice project. Like if someone's redesigning Spotify, you know, I'm like, okay, do they work at Spotify? Uh, but I think, I don't think you need to like call it out, like in big red letters, like this is just a practice project. But I think it's fair to note somewhere, like what was your goal and what, what sort of, drove you to decide to work on this you know like if you're redesigning Spotify are you doing that because you were really frustrated with the experience or are you doing that because you're passionate about music and you you know had some innovative ideas like what's kind of the motivation behind why you decided to do this project I would more kind of take that approach of being like so I I, you know was struggling with the UX of Spotify and every time I wanted to skip a song it did this thing or whatever whatever kind of like stating the problem uh, and then going into yeah like how you got to the end solution and and why you decided to take interest in in this sort of mock-up project yeah that's interesting I also think that practice projects can be obvious but not for the same reason as you because I, I do a bunch of portfolio reviews. I do YouTube videos about it. I haven't actually done one for a while, but I should probably do, do one of those again. I've got a lot of them piling up in my inbox. But sometimes I'll be reviewing someone's portfolio and usually the marker of a practice project, especially when it comes to branding, is that they've designed a logo and then there's what follows is like a million different um, applications of that logo. Mm. So it's like, here's it on a sign, here's it on a cup. Here's it on a truck. Here's it on a t-shirt. You know, they've gone for quantity rather than depth when it comes to the design of the brand okay. and how it's applied. Like it's more so than just a logo, right? Yeah. So, but basically what they've done though is created the logo and the color scheme and then just shown how they would apply that in a million different ways rather than showing the process of how they got to that logo. Interesting. And I think that's usually because, um, well, like we talked about before in developing your process, when you are working with an actual client on a project, things do take longer. There is more back and forth because you've got to bring the client's like feedback into account. Whereas when you're working on it yourself, you could just do something once and then be like, boom, done, logo. You know, that's not going to happen when you're working with a client. So lack of process, I think, is often an identifier of a practice project. But sometimes, honestly, it can be a little hard to tell. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's wrong to mislead people into thinking that you've done a bunch of client work. Like I'm thinking of... um, I don't know, say that you're a client who runs a restaurant, you want someone who's designed restaurant logos before, and this you find this portfolio that has a bunch, turns out they're all fake. Right, yeah, that's not a good start. Well, yeah, do you think it matters if the logos are good quality and look nice? I don't know, I don't know where I stand on this. I don't know, I think it depends on what your what the restaurant owner's expectations are. Like, I think just because you can design a logo and mock it up on trucks and t-shirts doesn't mean you know how to deliver a logo to a client. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like there is more than just Photoshop mocking it up on different items, I think. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. And it is is tricky. 
there is a big difference in like, you know, creating logos at your desk for fun than actually working with a client. Maybe the difference is that you don't have to explicitly say it's practice projects, practice work, whatever, but you also should not mislead anyone into thinking it was a real project because sometimes, um, this is what I've also seen with practice projects, I just remembered, is that they will write the, the brief that they had for it, like maybe it was a university project or something, but the brief is written from the perspective of a fake company, right? Like, oh, X company needs a logo for blah, blah, blah. And they put that in as the description of the project. Of course, I'm going to think that's a real company and a real project. Interesting. You know? yeah. And I think that that part is misleading. Like I said, again, I'm still not sure how much I think that should actually have an impact on um, clients hiring you and what it says about your process. But I think it could be just another way that a client might feel like your portfolio is a lie if they discover that actually you're their first client, right? And um, they've never worked with someone else before. So that would that would be a little disappointing and you would probably yeah feel a little mistrust towards designers. Yeah. Something else that I have started looking for in portfolios or I guess it's becoming increasingly more important to me is who is this person as a designer? Mm. So like, you know, the work is obviously really important. Can they produce good work? Is it, you know, what's their process? Uh, do they deliver things like that? But I'm also super curious these days when looking at portfolios in what is this person's values? Like, what are their design principles? Who is this person as a designer? What do they believe in? I guess what what's their process kind of comes through in the work, but if they sort of explicitly called out the things that are important to them, the things that they, you know, like to focus a lot of attention on in their process and why they do that. I also try to look for a bit of that these days. And to be honest, it's really hard to find because most portfolios still focus purely on the work. But I've come across a few portfolios that actually they'll, they'll go into detail and outline almost like a bit of a user guide. Like, you know, I, I'm a designer that believes in this. These are my core principles. Uh, when I work, I like to focus on X, Y, Z. Uh, and I'll, I'll include examples to some of these as well in the show notes. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up as a as a interesting point as well, that for me, it's sometimes not always just about the work. I'm also almost equally interested in who are you as a designer. Do you think that you care about this part of uh, like knowing who a designer is as a person? Because when you're reviewing portfolios, you're reviewing someone to join a team at your company, right? So this is going to be a person that you will be working alongside. So you do kind of want to know who they are, you know, how they work and all that sort of things, because that will have an impact on you and on the team. I wonder how important that is from a client's perspective, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been a client, so I can't speak to that. But I would say that, yeah, as as someone that is reading this portfolio in the context of I could be working with this person, this person's going to join my team. Uh, yeah, that's, it, that's probably why it's important to me. And I also like say this with a touch of salt or grain of salt, what's that saying? But sometimes it's hard to differentiate yourself in your portfolio. You know, we've seen the dribbleization of design. Uh, I look at so many portfolios. Sometimes it's all kind of... They blur together. Like, okay, yeah, they blur together. Like, okay, cool. Like another like high-res fancy mock-up of a restaurant app or whatever, you know, that this is almost a way to make people stand out to me. Like I, I take interest in it. If I see that they, you know, have taken some time to kind of outline 
this or kind of put forward a statement that to me is interesting yeah I I think you're right about that and I think that that could have an impact on freelance work too actually is well what's something that our, our client who emailed in is saying is that it's actually really hard to find a good designer as a client looking to work with someone and we know there were so many good designers out there so it feels like there is this disconnect and I can see why clients turn to freelance marketplaces for this but yeah I, I guess showing who you are as a person and why you're going to care about the client's project could be a way to stand out for freelancing as well I could definitely see how that works I think that our friend Holly does that really well yeah on her website yeah. yeah. And I, and I hate to say this, but it's true is like, you know, just because you have a good portfolio and you, you have great work, you know, you might be a pain to work with. I don't know. You know, so sometimes it's nice to kind of hear that side as well about, okay, like I can see clearly you, you know, you're a good designer, you know how to do design. I don't have any doubts there. Uh, who, who are you as a person? How is it going to be to work with you? What makes you stand out and what differentiates you from all of the other like 50 portfolios that I just saw that look very similar um yeah I don't know to me that's also important yeah I think you're right and I think that the same as you shouldn't lie through the work that you're doing and through the process that you say you went through you again should make sure that this bit about yourself is very truthful as well uh, and make sure that you're not just saying things because you think they'll sound impressive totally because you've seen other designers say them because um, I think that that's where things can really fall down. You get yourself caught up in a lie. It's so much just, it's just better to be yourself. And if you feel like yourself isn't like impressive enough yet, well, you're probably wrong. I think we're all too, <laughs> a little bit, bit too hard on ourselves. It's true. But also you can work on it. Like we don't all have to be perfect right out the gate. Just be honest about where you're at uh, and don't pretend that you've led teams before when really you haven't. And I don't know. Yeah. Be honest. I think that this can just come back to bite you in in so many ways in jobs as well as in freelance work where your CV looks super impressive. Your portfolio looks super impressive. When you get down to do the job, we're like, what? How? Yeah. How did anyone hire you before? (laughs) Yeah. That's just not a situation you want to be in. No, it's tough. I think at the end of the day, as long as you're being honest in your work and, and speaking true to what you've done, then you're in a pretty good place because I think often like where this sort of conflict, let's say between client and designer might come up is, you know, if you set the wrong expectation in your portfolio or, or you maybe uh, exaggerated a little bit on some things. So I think if you're being true and honest to what your process is and the work you've actually done, then that should be a good starting point and hopefully you wouldn't, you won't end up in, in this sort of conflict situation with a client. So I would just say like, as long as you're being honest and truthful, then that's a very good place to start. And yeah, I think in general, you shouldn't try and copy other designers just because you've seen them do that. And you think that that's what it takes to be a professional. You can be a professional in your own way with your own process and your own way of doing things. So don't feel like you have to copy other people to be a good designer. Good advice. Cool. All right, fam, where can people go to hear more episodes of this podcast? You can go to designlife.fm or you can open uh, any podcasting app that you use on your phone and you can search for Design Life and we should be there, including Spotify. With our purple logo. You can't miss us. (laughs) And if you uh, have been listening to the show on your commute or your run or, I don't know, wherever you sort of listen to the show, maybe you're on vacation, relaxing in the sun by the pool, uh, send us a photo. We'd love to see you listening to the show and hear what you think about it. 
Yes, we would. That'd be awesome. And I, side note, don't understand how people can listen to a podcast while running. I need music or I'm going to like trip and fall over. Oh, no, I can only run while listening to podcasts. That's so funny. (laughs) Interesting fun fact to end the episode on. All right, Fem. Okay. See you next time. Bye. Bye.